have your Bibles, open with me to James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, as we continue on this series of real life, real faith, and look at being a doer of the word. This morning, James chapter 1, 22 through 25, and we will launch into this together. So if you have your Bible, open it up and let me uh, read for you, and we'll follow along together. James chapter 1, 22 through 25 says these words, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face into a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us? Would your word, as always, be a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathway? Lord, I pray that the words that come forth from my mouth and the meditation that's in my heart, would it be pleasing and acceptable to you, Lord? We know your word tells us to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So this morning, that's precisely what we want to do. We want to hear, receive, and respond to your word. It's in Jesus' name that I ask. Amen. Well, I believe it was a year after I was born in 1988, Nike sat around a conference table trying to figure out what the future of their company looked like and the future of how they're going to build upon their previous success. And so they sat around coming up with a brilliant marketing campaign. And there was some disagreement in the room about a particular slogan that was on the bottom of one of the campaign ads. Half the room thought that they shouldn't and had no need to put this particular uh, slogan on the bottom of the campaign. And the other group thought it was very necessary and very important to have a hook and a, a slogan that would accompany, me, accompany this campaign ad. And so at the end of the day, they decided to just do it. All right, well, that was terrible. But it does recognize that they, at the end of the day, said, just do it. And they decided to just do it. And they put those simple words, just do it do it at the bottom of this campaign. And for over 30 years, this campaign has been one of the most important campaigns to Nike's success. In 10 years, from 1988 to 1998, uh, it grew from an $877 million business to a staggering $9.2 billion business with three words, just do it. It appealed to pro athletes, it appealed to casual competitors and newly motivated individuals who were on the couch believing that they needed to change their lives. It appealed to young people and old people. It appealed to rich and poor. And frankly, it appealed to people far beyond the athletic structures. It appealed to teachers walking into a preschool classroom and they said to one another, just do it, right? It appealed to lawyers walking into a courtroom just believing, oh, just, just do it. It appealed to people of all disciplines of life, believing as they were struggling with different things, it became a rallying cry just to say, just do it. In the face of all sorts of reasons not to and grumbling and complaining, it became a rallying cry for all sorts of disciplines that Nike still uses today, just do it. And I would like to think, even though it's not true, that the the creatives at Nike were to listening to James chapter 122 when James just write, but be doers of the word, not just listeners of the word. It was almost if James just said, just do it. Just do what the word says. And so here this morning, I hope that every time you see a little Nike swoosh, 
Anytime you think of that slogan, you'll be transported to James chapter 1, verse 22, and be reminded of last week and this week as we talk about just doing the simple word of God. One of the reasons we love the book of James is it's not complex, it's not difficult, it's not complicated, and it's calling, it's simple, yet at times so difficult. And I'll explain in just a moment where we're at. Last week, we looked at James chapter 1, 19 through 21, and we we talked about putting away all moral filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. And it's here that we arrive at James 1.22, but be doers of the word. So let's look. Number one in your outline. Let's get some suppositions out of the way. Number one, we are saved by faith and not by works. Just in case you talked to anybody that was at 8.30, I erroneously said we are saved by works, not by faith. I got that right very quickly, but just in case there's any lingering heresy in the hallways, I'll make it very clear. We are saved by faith, not by works. And as we get into a discussion in James chapter 1, 22 and 25, as we talk about being doers of the word, there's always at times people that would come back and say, well, I thought that I was saved by faith and I don't need to worry about the works, right? And sometimes when we start talking about works, we can get into a mentality of works-based religion. And so let me make it very clear that we are saved by faith, not by works. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 10, make it very clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For it is by grace that you and I have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. Now, I want to just be honest with you. We're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, but I want to just open the door for it. That to this day, this is still a struggle in my own soul. I grew up, like many of you did, coming to church every time the church doors were open. I sat on the second pew of the church. And as I've told you many times, my grandmother would come and have a conversation with you if you sat on our pew, right? We were one of those people. Second row of the church, we were there every time the doors were open. We were always there, raised right in the right, in the right household, following Jesus. But there was a part of me that grew up doing all the right things and believing that in some way I had found justification because of the things that I had done or had not done. There's a part of me that believed growing up that I was justified and I was somehow saved because I was a good kid. And the older I got, there became a reckoning in my soul to say on my days where I did not feel like I lived up to the standard by which God had called me to, I feel like maybe God doesn't love me today. I'm just, I'm opening my soul to you a little bit here this morning to tell you how at times we feel, and I don't believe I'm the only one, uh, so I believe I can say this in full confidence, knowing that many of us in this room struggle in the same way. That at times I felt like, even though I know in my heart it's by grace alone through faith alone, there's still a part of me that believes I've got to do something to earn God's favor. Maybe it's years growing up at Montgomery Mall, walking through the hallway, seeing that car that said free car, and knowing that that car was not free. Right, it's seeing the mail come through and saying, you've won the lottery. And knowing there's no way we've won the lottery, right? This can't be, this is too good to be true. Maybe it's years of all this kind of advertisement that you would look at and say, this, not, this could possibly not be free because nothing is free. And, and so come to the word and from my own life and you see this free gift of God. And there's still a part of my soul that says, this just 
cannot be true. Surely, Lord, I've got to do the good things to outweigh the bad things. I mean, at times, if I'm just going to be even more honest, there's times where I felt like God had this large, giant bottle of whiteout and my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He would say, man, Mark has been bad today. Let me get the whiteout. Let me scratch it all out. Hey, Mark had a good day. Let's put his name back in there. Oh, Mark had a bad day. Let's cross it back out. Oh, good, Mark. You did good. Let's put, I mean, there's part of me that still felt like that's how God operated. Good days, I'm in. Bad days, I'm out. And, And there's part of us that can feel like this is how God sees us. On our good days, God is proud of us. On our bad days, God is angry with us. On our days that we feel like we've done some good deeds and good works, God is blessing us. And on our worst days when we have failed and fallen short, God is writing us out of the book of life. And so I want to tell you as a struggling workaholic, that when we look squarely at what Jesus and the Bible teaches us, that by grace you have been saved. It's through faith. It's not my own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one, I can't boast in it because he has done it. I want us to be reminded this morning as we talk about our response to the word, our response to the gospel, our response to what God calls us to do, we are saved first and foremost by faith and not by works. But verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 2 helps us flesh out what it looks like when we have grace that we've been saved by. So verse 10 tells us, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So number two under outline, what is then our response to the word? What is our response to God's word? If we're supposed to be doers of the word, not hearers only, what is our response? Well, Jesus echoes James's words in Luke 11, verse 28. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Obviously, Jesus would follow James and Paul would also follow Jesus in following James and following the Lord and saying, Romans 2, verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So the question would be, what is our response to the word? Because can I tell you this morning, there is always a response to the word. We always are called to respond to God's word. There is no such thing as a neutral or negative response to the word. There is always a response that we give to the word. Let me, let's flesh this out for just a moment. 13 years ago on September the 11th of um, 2000 and um, 2000 and something, we were over in the, in Stakely Sanctuary and I got down on my knee, 2009, got down on my knee, credit, 2009, got down on my knee and I asked Brittany to marry me. I said, Brittany, will you marry me? Now, in that, she has a response that is required of her. She could either say, yes, absolutely, let's go, married, let's do this. She could hear it, get up, walk out the sanctuary, never to be heard from again. She, she could say, no, absolutely not. Don't want you, don't want to be married to you, bad idea, don't want that. Three responses, right? Yes, get up and leave, or no, right? Those are the responses to what I've asked of her. Thankfully, she said yes. But in the same way, when we come to the word, we can either say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. We can listen and then leave as if there is no consequence. Or we can say, nah, 
don't think so. Don't want to do it. Don't think it's a good idea. Not going to follow your word. In the same way, we have the same responsibility and option when we come to God's word. Let's look even intently at what James gives us as the example for anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Many of you, it looks like many of you stood in front of a mirror this morning and you got yourself together. I can't imagine any of you brushing your teeth after, after breakfast, seeing a large piece of your breakfast still in your teeth, decided to walk out and say, eh, I'll figure it out, it'll flesh out at some point. No, you remove it because you looked intently and saw there's something that does not need to be there and you removed it. In the same way, as you look at yourself in the mirror intently, as you look at yourself through the word intently, you ask, Lord, would you change me? Would you... Would you shape me? Would you mold me into the image that you have called me to? I want to, again, just continue my heart of transparency this morning. Because I failed this week. Last week, I stood here and I preached James 1, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And there came a point this week that I was quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to become angry. And I come to this verse, and this verse says, be doers of the word and not only hearers deceiving yourselves. And the Lord has convicted me straight to my core that there I was on a Wednesday afternoon. I've just heard the word, and better yet, I have preached the word, walked out of this place, and in the moment that I had to utilize the word, didn't do it. And here I am about to preach on be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. This is what what the word gives us. That we would hear, receive, and that when we leave this place, when the reality of the Bible and the word would meet our lives, we would respond in congruence with it. And it shook me to my core to know that this guy right here preached the word, studied the word for a week, delivered it to you, heard it twice myself, and yet walked out of here. And as soon as I did it, conviction came over my heart. Mark, how can you preach here? You're about to preach on being doers of the word, and here you have fallen flat on your face. Again, I can say that with honesty and transparency because I know I'm not the only one in the room who's had a Bible study on the morning And by 10 o'clock, you've forgotten it and put it aside because you are angry, frustrated, tired, weary, or whatever it may be. And so friends, this is what James is compelling us towards. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Listen to it. Respond to it. React to it. Let it change your hands and your feet and your mouth in the world that we live in. And we've talked about for a year over, we looked to the book of Mark and almost every week we saw the authority that Jesus had and called for in our lives. And we've talked about the authority of the word, why we memorize it, why we read it, why we study it, why we anchor everything in this time because our word is our authority. And so today, you will also have a response as you leave the back doors of this sanctuary, 
as you get into your cars and as you go home and as you live in the world that God has called you and, and asked you to steward, will you be a listener of the word or a doer of the word? What will our response be? So we're saved by faith, not by works. What is our response to the word? Number three this morning, which gives me great joy to share with you is the word gives freedom. The word gives freedom. You see, look intently at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he looks like. But, verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Can I tell you this morning that the word gives freedom. And this runs contrary and counter to the culture that we live in right now. If I've read an article or read responses in this postmodern world that we live in, we hear all the time that God's word is constricting and constraining and feels like shackles on our individuality. But what we know is that God's word gives freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And we see that he looks intently and follows the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom. It's precisely the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. As we go back to this summer, we recognize what the Garden of Eden, what the serpent did to Eve. Hey, Eve, don't you know that God is, there's more that you could have? Don't you know that God is constraining you? Don't you know that there's a, a fruit that looks good and pleasing and will give you knowledge that you do not have? Don't you know, Eve, that this would be better for you? Don't you think that God is constraining you into this place, that he doesn't want you to have this good thing that's going to make you happy? Happy and knowledgeable and good and right. Don't you think, Eve, that this would make you fulfilled and satisfied? Don't you think that God's being a little constraining on you? It's the same thing that we hear. It's the same thing that's been happening since the Garden of Eden. And this culture that we live in is no different. It's a culture that would say God's word is old fashioned, it's constraining, it's like handcuffs on our freedom, it's like handcuffs on our joy. But what we know is God's word brings freedom from the bondage and the slavery of sin. From the bondage of anxiety and fears and frustrations, it allows us to say it is well with my soul. So this morning, we fully recognize as we look into the perfect law, the law of freedom. Now, I want to remind us, as I've told us the past four or five weeks as we looked at the book of James, who is James writing to? James is writing to the Jews in the dispersion who are facing persecution and immense strife and pain and all the things they've left home and family. We've talked about this every single week. So James is not writing to people who are not in the middle of hardship. He's writing to people who are under bondage and persecution. And he tells these Jews in the midst of the dispersion, look intently into the perfect law that gives you freedom and liberty and persevere. Because at the end, you see number four, the one who acts is blessed. He will be blessed in his doing. The one who acts is blessed. The one who responds is blessed. And I cannot tell you today that if you just respond to the word, if you do what the word says, then your car will crank more quickly than it's ever cranked and you'll come home and you'll find a a stack of a hundred in your mailbox. That's not how God's operation of blessing usually operates. Because he's talking to the Jews in the dispersion, he's telling them, 
follow and persevere and you will be blessed. So he's surely not saying, hey, Jews, in the midst of your job losses, in the midst of your home that you've lost, in the midst of your pains and beatings, you're going to wake up to find all sorts of resources and money all around you. I got to believe that James was telling the people, you will be blessed by peace that surpasses all understanding. You're going to be blessed to be able to say, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You're going to be blessed by knowing that there's a Savior who walks with you in the midst of your storms. You're going to be undergirded in strength and wisdom as you walk forward in the midst of a world that you need immense wisdom for. That you will be blessed as you do the word that God has called and entrusted for you to do. The one who acts is blessed. So friends, I, I got to tell you, as we prepare to go this morning, we've heard the word. And now it comes the difficult part of the sermon time and the leaving time. It's application of the word. It's the application on the Monday morning as you wake up a little bit early, you set your alarm clock and you open up your word and as you read it and have a cup of coffee, what consequence will that have on your day? As you stop on the car ride and you pray for your kids and your family and for yourself to have a day that you look for gospel opportunities, what happens once the car is off and you walk into your job site or into your home? What happens to that daily scripture that you're memorizing or that monthly scripture that you're memorizing and learning and soaking on? What happens when the opportunity to utilize it happens in your day-to-day life? Will we be doers or will we be hearers of the word only? My prayer for us is a faith family. My prayer for you every Sunday morning when I come into this place is that we leave the back doors of this sanctuary different than when we walked in. It's my prayer for myself every day when I leave this church that I'm different than when I walked in. And so in a moment, we're gonna sing and we're gonna walk out the doors of this sanctuary. It's where the rubber meets the road for us. Will we be hearers or will we be doers? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we are saved by grace through faith, that it is not our own doing, but it is a free gift that you have given. Or thank you. Thank you that your grace is sufficient even for a sinner such as I. Thank you that I have not yet found the end of your grace, nor have any of us in this room. Thank you that the name of the Lord is a strong tower that we can run into for safety. Thank you that you are a good shepherd that leads us and guides us beside the still waters and restores our soul. Or thank you that in the midst of my mess ups and failures, you extend a hand of grace and a hug of hope. Lord, I pray as we walk out of here that we are strengthened by your Holy Spirit to put on the full armor of God and prepare for whatever is in front of us, that your word would lead and guide us and be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathways. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen.